From west to east and kingdom to kingdom, you're listening to the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. Connecting with Walt is brought to you by Dreams Unlimited Travel, experts at helping you plan the perfect Disney vacation. Visit them on the web at dreamsunlimitedtravel.com. Hey there, hi there, ho there, and welcome to episode 259 of the Diz Unplugged Connecting with Walt podcast. I am your host and Diz historian, Michael Bowling, and I am joined by my co-host and good friend, Luella Lariola. I hope I said Hi. that right. Yes, you did. <laughs> oh, yes, you did. Great. Thank hey, you. Hey, Michael. So happy to be here. Oh, I'm delighted to have you there. And if folks don't know, Luella was part of our Disneyland podcast team. And she would also participate in what they called the ladies show. That would oh, include. That was, that, yeah. Those were people loved those. And oh, it, gosh. I miss it. I loved it. I. It was a very wonderful part to you know experience to be a part of and um i'm just honored to have yeah. been there the lady show is important to me because carol was a part of it so i yes. can always hear her voice when i want to so and she had some nice. great tips i still incorporate yes she did i mean she could have been a regular on the show i mean Definitely. because she had very good input and of course it included nancy and uh, mary joe as well Yes. On the show. So those were, those were a lot of fun. But Luella is here today helping out with an, with an episode that is about an attraction that she has never experienced and one that I did many, many, many times growing up. So, but Luella, is there a Disneyland attraction that no longer exists that you wish you could have experienced? It doesn't have to be the one we're talking about today. Well, um, there are so many attractions, but it's, <laughs> there was an attraction. And, and the reason why I really wanted to experience this is I was a big fan of the Jetsons cartoon. Oh, and mm-hmm. there was an attraction that looked like the Jetsons house. And I wanted so bad to go in that house. And it's that oh, Monsanto house of the house future. Of the future. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. And, yeah. And I, of course, it wasn't around uh, when I finally went to Disneyland, but everything that I've read and everything that I've heard about it, I'm sure, of course, you know, it was called the house of the future. And if you would go to it now, it's probably the house of the past. But mm-hmm. at that time, it must have been very fascinating to walk through that house and experience a microwave for the first time. Experience. Yes plastic cups for the first time. And <laughs> I'm a big fan of mid-century modern and that whole house screams mid-century modern. So I would have loved to walk through that house. It was cool. My mother loved the kitchen, even though she did not embrace technology. She mm-hmm. loved, she was fascinated by the kitchen. And like you said, all the different things that were yes. in it, including the microwave, which we had no idea what that was. Yes. You now, know, can you imagine and, not knowing? And then I heard that the tour included the tour guide putting something in the microwave, which looked like a TV, and then taking it out a minute later and it'd be burning hot. I think people would have gone crazy. <laughs> yeah, they didn't always do that. But um, oh. yeah, I think once in a while they did. But they had flat screen TVs. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, yeah. they had all kinds of stuff in there. So it was a wonderful attraction. 
Yes, I would um, have loved to have experienced that. But after researching um, Mind Train Through Nature's Wonderland, my goodness, I... I am so jealous that I never got to experience this ride. This is an attraction I really miss. It added so much to Frontierland. And, um, but you know, you know, the, there is one attraction I never went on because it was being built when we first went there and it was closed forever a year later, although we didn't know oh. it at the time. Rocket Rods. Oh, Never <laughs> got to ride rocket rods. We were there the week before it opened. Okay. And it was so dang noisy in Tomorrowland because they were testing yes. it constantly. Yes. I thought, yes. this is horrible. You know, standing <laughs> beneath the old people mover tracks, listening to that. And then, um, you know, and then when we came back, it was, you know, in a temporary you know, te- temporarily mm-hmm. closed. But of course, we've done a show on that, that that temporary yeah. lasted forever. So. Yeah, I, I wrote that <laughs> ride. I, I mm-hmm. actually wrote it. And I think I remember being um, underwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if they had put all the money into it, if they hadn't mm-hmm. lost, you know, sponsorship and they'd built it the way it was, maybe it would have been more interesting the way it should have yeah. been. I don't know. <laughs> But as we mentioned in this episode of Connecting with Walt, we are going to visit Disneyland's Frontierland and take a ride through the history of one of my favorite attractions from my boyhood, the mine train through nature's wonderland. So just as movies based on superheroes, comic books, and video games are popular today, back in the 1950s and 60s, Western-themed television shows and films were popular. Of course, we all know about the phenomenon. It was the Davy Crockett miniseries, a Walt Disney's anthology show. Spin and Marty was enjoyed by viewers of the Mickey Mouse Club as we watched their adventures at the Circle K Ranch, or Triple R Ranch, Triple R Ranch. That was it. (laughs) Another Disney series, Zorro, did very well on television. Popular films at the time included Man of the West, Shane, The Searchers, and even the a film version of the Broadway musical Oklahoma. Some popular television shows I watched as a boy were Fury, Bat Masterson, Wyatt Earp, Laramie, The Rebels, Cheyenne, Maverick, Rawhide, Tombstone Territory, The Rifleman, Have Gun Will Travel, and Gunsmoke. So that was a that was a lot of westerns. You know, there's lots the of westerns, and my dad loves westerns, so mm-hmm. um, we had that playing in our house. Yeah, yeah. Does he still watch them? He still watches them. Huh? <laughs> he still watches them because they're I don't still know around. The yeah, I don't know exactly which are the ones he watched, but um, I know it must have been some of these, um, and especially Bonanza. For some reason, Bonanza runs in my head. <laughs> yeah, Bonanza. I never got into. I don't know why. I think because it ran opposite something else oh, okay but um yeah i never got into or the virginian that was another really popular one that was the, like the female version of bonanza ah, okay so it was like the you know there the patriarch you know and, and all the sons and bonanza well there was a matriarch with mm-hmm. daughters and their husbands and all of that on, um, on their i show. think i remember that so, yes yeah yeah <laughs> Well, with so many popular Western films and television shows during Disneyland's early years, it's not surprising that Walt gave a lot of thought and attention to the largest realm in his park, Frontierland, which Walt described as 
the story of our country's past, the colorful drama of frontier America in the exciting days of the covered wagon and the stagecoach, the advent of the railroad and romantic riverboat. Frontierland is a tribute to the faith, courage, and ingenuity of the pioneers who blazed the trails across America. Also showcased in the early years of Frontierland were the actors who portrayed Davy Crockett, Georgie Russell, and Zorro, and they would make regular appearances um, in the park. When the park opened in 1955, Frontierland's attractions included the Mark Twain Riverboat, the Mike Fink Keelboats, Stagecoaches, Conestoga Wagons, Yellowstone Coaches, Surreys, and Pack Mules. The Mark Twain Riverboat and the Mike Fink Keelboat sailed the rivers of America, and all the wagon-style attractions took guests on a ride through the Painted Desert. With the exception of the Mark Twain, all of these attractions could carry only a small number of passengers. This is why Frontierland was just so cool to me because you you just went out in this open areas that were that all looked like the West and the desert and and it just seemed to go on forever. Yeah. And it it probably was so exciting to come from the city and then arrive at Disneyland mm-hmm. and be like you're in the old West. But I could yeah. imagine when the popularity of the park grew. Um, and all these popularity of the ride of these attractions grew that when you can only carry a small number of passengers, um, yeah, probably these lines are starting to get long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but um, yeah, for me, it was like you're you're in those films and you're in those television series. That's why the, when I was a boy, I loved Knott's Berry Farm so much because of the ghost town. And they didn't have any roller, roller coasters in those days. But yeah. so the ghost town was much larger and had different activities. And I love those as well. So as part of Disneyland's expansion plans in its second year, a mine train attraction was planned for Frontierland. This attraction would cover seven acres and cost $400,000. And Walt was very involved with the development of Disneyland and would bring in the Imagineers ideas for the parks on napkins and scraps of paper. Marvin Davis finally asked Walt to carry tracing paper with him to the park to capture his ideas. Walt was not happy with the expansion plans of Frontierland, so he decided to do it himself. On a piece of paper, he sketched out how the current stagecoach and pack mule routes would relate to the mine train right-of-way. Much of what Walt drew would make it into the final plans, including the figure eight shape of the railroad track, the location of the rainbow caverns, and the trestle over the waterfalls in Rocky Gorge. So it wasn't just Tom Sawyer Island that Walt um, Mm -hmm. designed as well. He really had a vision, and I love that he's so hands-on. He was, and he just seemed multi-talented. Because when I... I'm reading a book right now by a friend of the show, Spencer Wright, on um, more um, of some of the actors in the in the Disney films, and it's just amazing that you know Walt would take a script home on the weekend, and he knew where to make edits and change dialogue and and all this stuff. And I thought this is a little guy who grew up in Marceline and didn't graduate high school, and I mean. He was an he was an amazing person. Yeah, it's that kind of creative bug, and he can yeah. see things, which is 
a lot of people don't have that vision, that talent yeah. to see it. I, and it's not there, but they can, he can see it. I wonder if he could just visualize things in his head and, and just picture them vividly, which is not a talent I have. Yeah. I don't, <laughs> I don't have that talent too, but I'm so glad that he did because yeah. you know, we get to, you know, uh, enjoy what was created. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the Rainbow Cavern Mine Train was designed to carry large groups of passengers through, quote, the most active desert region man has ever traversed, unquote. The Rainbow Desert, which was formerly the Painted Desert, um, the new town of Rainbow Ridge was built across from the Golden Horseshoe and complemented the existing buildings in Frontierland. This town was built on a slope with the Last Chance Saloon, the El Dorado Hotel, and the Rainbow Ridge Clarion, amongst the storefronts painted in whites, yellows, and reds. Using forced perspective, the buildings above the storefronts were smaller than the ones in the first row near the boarding area. When the expansion was complete and opened in 1956, the Frontierland Stagecoach and the Wagons took guests into the new Rainbow Desert, but they now looped out and back in the left-hand portion of their previous route. The Rainbow Ridge Pack Mules rode guests on an upper central trail along both the wagon route and the mine train route. The mine train right-of-way took up most of the right side of the area. The 30-inch narrow-gauge track followed a 1,700-foot figure-eight route and the ride lasted about seven minutes. The train was positioned in a route on a middle layer, with the pack mule path mostly above the train, whilst the wagons and stagecoach traversed on roads below the train and closer to the rivers of America. So now you have to start imagining all this with what's there today. (laughs) I know, it's it's kind of hard to imagine, but what I love is it looks like it's layers. Mm-hmm. You, you know, and I think that's one of the beauties of Disneyland is even when you go to Tomorrowland, there is the monorail, but then the submarine, like the, all these different layers. And so it's just full and lush. And I can imagine that this Western, this Frontierland area was just full and lush. Yeah. Um, and it was, and that's what, that's always what amazed me when, um, you know, the, the famous, the, the the Tomorrowland everybody says is the best that opened shortly after Walt died. And and it was all these different levels. You had the submarines, then you had the people mover, then you had you had the uh the monorail, and then you had the rocket ships above all of yeah. that. Yeah. So it it was amazing what they put in such a small area. And and you're right, they did a similar thing with um the, the paths in Frontierland in the painting. What I'm desert. trying to imagine. <laughs> I'm trying mm-hmm. I can kind of see it, but at the same time I'm trying to think of how it looks now. And like how, where was it all? <laughs> well well imagine Galaxy's Edge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but we'll get into that in just a little bit. What what, what there are some remnants left and where you can see them today in the park. And it gives you an idea of where it was. Um, in the park. So the mine train locomotives were designed and built under the supervision of Roger Brogy, and they were 11 feet long and four feet, four inches wide. The large dark green cabs were made of wood and with the small drive wheels resembled the industrial steam engines from the early 1900s. Large brass bells, box headlamps, and wood burner stacks gave them an old West appearance. 
Walt wanted them to be steam locomotives, but Orange County officials had already expressed concern about the unlicensed operators on the Mark Twain Riverboat and the Santa Fe Disneyland Railroad. So they were powered by electric motors and industrial batteries placed in a locomotive tender. The train whistles and brakes worked by air compressors stored in the locomotive's false boilers. The mine trains belonged to the Rainbow Mountain Mining and Exploration Company, or RMRR, as you could see on the cars. Each of the four trains pulled up to six ore cars, which could carry up to 10 passengers at each, making this one of the few attractions that could accommodate large families. The cars were four feet, six inches wide and eight feet, six inches long, with bench seats attached to each car's inner wall and a jump seat attached to the cart's door. Round speakers were in each cart, so the live spiel from either the engineer or the brakeman in the last car could be heard. The publicity materials describing um Describe this as guests boarding a cinder-spouting mine train and journeying through the canyon around Rainbow Mountain to Rainbow Desert into beautiful rainbow caverns and fluorescent waters. As the train travels deep into the heart of the earth, there are visual spectacles like the underground river with flecks of gold and stalactite and stalagmite caverns featuring an unforgettable spectacle of multicolored waters, all presented with the world-famous Disney touch. And the Rainbow Caverns Mine Train was Disneyland's first D-ticket attraction, which was the highest ticket at the time. And I so let's what take- I mm-hmm. I was going to say what I love because 10 passengers can be in one car. I can imagine a family like I'm I'm thinking of my family and you have your child sitting on your lap just the awe and you can hear your child be very um like in another world and even you. It's it was a, it really is I think what this Walt wanted, right? Families mm-hmm. riding together. Absolutely. It absolutely. encompasses uh, exactly what he was creating. Oh, yeah. And you could just, you know, you could lean your arms on the, on the, you know, ridge of the ore cart, the top of it, and, you know, all kinds of stuff. So it was very casual. No seatbelts. <laughs> <laughs> so let's take a ride on the Rainbow Caverns mine train. So after boarding our ore cart in the wide open town, of Rainbow Ridge, we speed up a bit and enter the rock-lined mine tunnel toward the desert. The desert theme is the American Southwest, with reddish rock, sandy plateaus, cactus, and Joshua trees. Our train then crosses a small trestle over a roaring rush of water that is boiling down from a fissure named Rocky Gorge. As we pass the gorge, the train tracks curve along the back slope of Rainbow Mountain as we approach the natural arch, that's in quotes, stone bridge. (laughs) Crossing the arch above us are guests taking a more bumpy tour of the desert on the Rainbow Ridge pack mules. I got to ride those too. Oh, We even have a photo of my mother and I on the pack mules. I think when we did the show on the pack mules, Craig posted it. Um, I'm not even two years old oh, and I'm sitting there. So and of course neat. people dressed up so much nicer in those days. My mother is oh. in this big old skirt 
<laughs> straddling this pack mule. And I'm in my little, you know, like Buster Brown outfit, practically. <laughs> you know, oh, gosh. I can imagine kids on the mule looking at those that are riding on the mine train waving mm-hmm. at each other. They that did. Was, and that was just yeah. so cool. It, it was yes. a really neat experience. So. We then hear our narrator tell us that the Natural Arch Bridge is the gateway to the Rainbow Desert with formations named Coyote Rock, Inscription Rock, Elephant Rock, Natural Window Rock, and the Balancing Rocks. A lot of rocks. As we pass through the Natural Arch Bridge, we enter the desert. On either sides are tall stands of cactus, which appear to be gesturing towards the train with flowered faces and sticker arms. Our narrator says that some people imagine the cactus to have a human shape, and below us we see some cactus with an uncanny resemblance to the seven dwarfs. Oh, how cute. Yeah, it was. In the distance, we spot sandstone buttes and rocky formations dotted with a few pine trees. Our train begins a long curving descent to the desert floor. And along the way, we see one of the few animals of the desert, a old maw coyote sitting at the opening to her den. We then come along to the colorful devil's paint pots between us and the trail used by the wagons and stagecoach. And they come so close to the train that we wave to their passengers and they wave back. Oh, how fun. Yeah. That's why Frontierland seems so alive with all of these conveyances everywhere, you know, traveling along this, um, you know, this, this frontier wilderness. Yes, it's, um, like I said, I'm jealous that I didn't experience this friendly Frontierland because when I think of Frontierland, I just think of that one big thunder, shooting, shoot, <laughs> big thunder oh, and the shooting guns and then mm-hmm. the golden horseshoe. But yep. back in the day, wow, was it, it, was it the place to be? It was. It really was. The devil's paint pots are thermal fissures in the earth that spout bubbling, streaming, multicolored lava up through the earth's crust and form into cauldrons of rust, yellow, and blue. Our train then travels in a treacherous area with tall balancing rocks on either side with rolling boulders threatening to fall onto the tracks below. Our narrator shouts, these rocks really rock and roll, before sounding the train's whistle that sends the rocks spinning and tumbling. Actually, the sound from our train whistle has tripped a sound-actuated switch and motors causing the rocks to tip wildly overhead. So, Michael, when you rode this, did you think those rocks were really going to hit you? Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) If you ever see videos of it, these things spun and tipped wildly. So you really did feel like they were going to fall on you. Because I think I would. (laughs) (laughs) Our train then curves back past the human-shaped cactus towards a dark cave and the entrance to the spectacular Rainbow Caverns before heading to the unloading area. Now, Rainbow Caverns was designed by Claude Coates. He used ultraviolet lights, just as he did with the Fantasyland Dark Rides, along with special effects using water and fountains to create a two-minute grand finale. Walt had learned about new fluorescent dyes that could go in water, and he had the company come out to the studio. 
He was already thinking about the mind train ride at the time, and this idea really captured his imagination. Coates later said Walt had envisioned a train that would go through a building and the guests would see fluorescent waterfalls. He turned to Claude Coates because of his experience in building the Fantasyland dark rides using blacklight. And Coates said, I got interested and did sketches and storyboards. We had to make mock-ups with wood first, just to find out how we could handle this water and make it go into the shapes of a witch or a cauldron or an angel or whatever character we were trying to do. The interior of Rainbow Caverns was pitch black. The only illumination came from carefully hidden black lights reflecting upon the fluorescent materials. The room was filled with different colorful waterfalls and rivers. Claude Coates had come up with many special effects that had never been tried successfully before. For example, when he was working on Rainbow Falls, the grand finale, he wanted all six primary colors falling side by side in one big wide waterfall. The water flowed in separate troughs, and when it hit the bottom, he wanted to have them as close together as he could, so they were separated by a very few inches. And Coates recalled, There was a mathematician, Heinz Haber, at the studio that had come over with Werner von Braun, the German rocket scientist. Remember, they were working on the Man in Space series for Mm -hmm. um, Walt's show. And he looked at this waterfall and said that it was statistically impossible. Haber told him there would be enough splash between one color and the next, no matter how well we controlled it, that it would be all gray in one week. When Coates reported to Walt, Heinz Hubbard said that it was statistically impossible. Walt turned to Coates and replied, well, it's fun to do the impossible. Then he continued on his way. Of course, that is now a very famous line. That is the amazing quote that anything is possible. But wow, I would love to have seen that. Do you remember seeing that? Vividly. I I vividly remember this because it really was spectacular. And it just seems so magical with all these different colors. And and they had very haunting um, music that we'll talk about in a moment. It felt almost ghostly as you went through there. Plus you were in the heat of the the desert and then you go into the coolness of these caverns and it it just was so amazing an experience. This is what I really want to see. Coates and his team solved the problem by using rubberized hog's hair supported on a grid with baffles between each fluorescent dye color. And it finally worked. Rubberized hog's hair is similar to those coarse scrubbing pads used to clean pots and pans. So the loose density of hair in the coarse pads trapped the falling waters, thus preventing the predicted splashes and spattering from occurring. The results allowed each color to remain pure without mixing together, making the impossible amazing effect possible after all. Wow. How do they think of these things? I mean, these people were all geniuses. I know. know? I wouldn't have thought of that. I would just be like, okay, everything is one color. (laughs) That's how I solve it. Yeah. I I mean, even today, just what we were 
you know, what we experience in the parks. How, how do they create these? You know, because they're so real. We were talking about Galaxy's Edge and mm-hmm. uh, the Galactic Star Cruiser before the show. Just the brilliant minds that created those experiences are, are amazing. Just amazing people. So, Each of the waterfalls had names that reflected the uniqueness of their design. Staircase Falls was all one color and shaped as it is named. At Bridal Veil Falls, the water seemed to outline a slender figure. Rainbow Falls was spectacular. Others included Angel Falls, the Staircase Falls, as I mentioned, Paint Pot Falls, Geyser Grotto, Dance of the Seven Sisters, and the Witch's Cauldron. Guests riding through Rainbow Caverns would hear a haunting soundtrack performed by a female choir accompanied by a theremin. This dark ride portion of the Rainbow Caverns is housed in the 18,250-square-foot mine train building made from corrugated metal and was invisible to guests. The first annual report to Disneyland lessees prepared in 1956 by the Disneyland Public Relations Division, Disneyland Incorporated, described this portion of the new attraction. Quote, then destination is reached. The train passes through a jagged fissure in the face of Rainbow Mountain itself and is quickly swallowed up in the tomb-like stillness of an abandoned mine. Bones and skeletons glowing in the unnaturally lit interior of the mine give evidence that others have tried this path and failed to survive the hazards. The tracks easily spawn a yawning chasm, formerly the great barrier to the mine's interior, and the train is now in the Rainbow Caverns. Underground rivers rush past, showing flecks of pure gold. Mineral formations in the walls give the interior a particular glow, exhibiting all the colors of the rainbow, but strangely refracted without natural light. The train rushes in on the half-dark. Many colored waterfalls and cascading streams contributed to the effect of being deep in the heart of the earth. Suddenly, round a bend, a narrow shaft of light appears, and the train rushes to meet it, ascending abruptly and once again into the pleasant daylight of Disneyland's summer. Close by, the mule pack ride, the stagecoach, and the Conestoga wagon rides will be boarding passengers for a more leisurely trip through the desert area. Unquote. Well, sign me so up. What- <laughs> yeah, so what, so what do you think of this attraction? How does it sound to you? It sounds really like someone's imagination, and I get to be a participant in that. Or like you said, like a movie, and take you to another world, take you to a Western movie, and how exciting to have experienced that. I, I, I'm in awe that it's not around, to tell you the truth. It yeah. looks like it would be so successful still. And I know you think with updates, new technology and all that, they could have kept it running. Yeah. And so it's it's a shame really. And I it could be the times, but I think nowadays people would flock to this. Yeah. Well, it's almost like and it was just compared to the jungle cruise. This was the jungle cruise of Frontierland. You had your your engineer or brakeman narrating a story as you went through these different areas, these different regions of the American Southwest. 
Yes, yes. Uh, uh, by, September, by September 28, 1958, Disneyland had made approximately $389,181 of land improvements to the Rainbow Desert. That same year of 1958, an appraisal of the original ride structure valued it at $275,900, whilst the original equipment was valued at $91,600. And we're talking, you know, 1950s dollars. So this is quite a bit of money. Yes. Shortly after the park opened, Walt turned his attention to Tomorrowland and its lack of attractions. In 1959, the Matterhorn bobsleds, Disney Alweg monorail, and the submarine voyage were debuted as the park's first e-ticket coupon attractions, resolving that problem on the east side of the park for a while. Now Walt turned back to the west and to the Rainbow Caverns mine train. After one and a half years of work, upgrades and expansion at a cost of $1.8 million. The mine train reopened as an e-ticket attraction in June 1960 as the mine train through nature's wonderland. A team of first-generation Imagineers was assembled to bring the project to life. Roger Brogy, Sam McKinn, Bob Sewell, Bill Martin, Bob Matty, Waithel Rogers, and Vic Green joined Claude Coates to design, engineer, and build Walt's Natural Wonderland. These are all, you know, legends now in Mm -hmm. in Disneyland history, all these folks. The final result was like a trip through America's great national parks, served up with a generous dose of Disney humor. The living like a Mm -hmm. jungle cruise, but... But, um, you know, through like Nature's Wonderland, it's, oh gosh, it sounds so fantastic. Mm-hmm. It re- this version I really remember strongly as well because mm-hmm. of, of all the additions that they made to it. And it lasted for quite a while. The Living Desert and Rainbow Caverns remained, but the rest of the railroad's course would pass through new habitats populated by simple electromechanical wildlife figures. Audio animatronics were still about three years away. Mm-hmm. The new seven-acre wilderness preserve contained 156 types of plant life and over 200 realistic animals, reptiles, and birds. It was the most ambitious and elaborate project up to this time at the park. Mine Train Through Nature's Wonderland was the jungle cruise of the American Southwest, an informative journey through real environments filled with adventure, drama, and suspense provided by the wildlife figures. Here's how the 200, yeah, 200, that's a lot. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of love put into this attraction. There was a lot of going on here (laughs) in this, yeah. (laughs) So here's how the publicity materials describe the new attraction. Quote, we have stocked our preserve with over 200 amazingly realistic animated animals and birds, including almost every species still roaming the North American continent. Here in a primitive setting that duplicates the remote wilderness country, you may watch beavers, busy as always, on home building and tree cutting chores, coyotes and mountain lions, clown-like bears, romping without a care in the world, Olympic elk engaged in battle for survival, just as it is enacted daily in the natural wilderness, unquote. 
The theme of the attraction was based on Walt Disney's popular true life adventure nature film series. The original Rainbow Caverns mine train drew ideas from 1953's The Living Desert. The mine train through nature's wonderland now included habitats and animals inspired by 1950's Beaver Valley, 1951's The Olympic Elk, 1953's Bear Country, and 1954's Vanishing Prairie. Now, those Michael, are all did you wonderful watch, films. Did, I was going to say, did you watch all of those? I have going on the since then, but a lot okay. of these came out before I was born. So where mm-hmm. I saw most of them was on um, Disney's Wonderful World of Color oh, because okay. they were all rebroadcast in those, sometimes in like two parts or something. And a lot of these won Oscars because oh, yes. remember at the time, no one had heard of um, – a, a, a nature documentary film. It was Walt who created them. And so these were all new to people. And, you know, we didn't have National Geographic television or anything like that on TV. So for a lot of, for a lot of people in the United States at the time, these are the first times they were experiencing these animals it was through Walt's nature films. Yes. So, Walt had been concerned that guests found the Rainbow Caverns mine train a bit boring. So he tasked Mark Davis with the job of injecting humor into the attraction. Walt asked Mark to bring his talent for perfectly staged animated scenes and films to Disneyland, and particularly to take a, quote, good, hard, critical look, unquote, at the Rainbow Caverns mine train. There was an awful lot of things wrong, Davis said. They had no gags in it, no story at all. One kit fox's head is going up and down, then about a hundred feet away, another kit fox's head is going left to right. So I took the two, put them nose to nose, so one is going up and down, the other moves side to side, so immediately you have humor. So Davis's talent for comedy and staging and just the right amount of comic exaggeration brought new life to the attraction. Over 200 figures were constructed for the final version of the ride, and many were based on Davis's design or staging. He would then go on and work Yeah, the animals more memorable, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, I mean, I can still imagine the bears rubbing their, you know, scratching their backs on the trees as yes. they rode by and all that. And then Mark, after this project, went on to tackle the Jungle Cruise and oh, brought okay. in the humor we know in that attraction today. The topography of the mine, changed, had changed, mine train had changed significantly. The renamed Pack Mules Through Nature's Wonderland Loading Area was now in the mine train courtyard. Walt thought the mules added to the theme of Frontierland, However, due to an incident when the stagecoach filled with passengers tipped over, Walt oh discontinued <laughs> all the wagon and stagecoach attractions. No one was seriously injured. Oh. <laughs> As a result, the path these conveyances followed was gone. On part of the old wagon and stagecoach path now stood a new impressive mountain. You might remember this, Luella, because it was there for a long time, called Cascade Peak on the banks of the rivers of America with thundering waterfalls. This was a hollow seven-story structure of wood and steel. The mine trains now passed behind the waterfalls before going across a trestle bridge to re-enter nature's wonderland. 
Within Cascade Peak, there were three pumps totaling 510 horsepower, which sent 91 tons of water a minute up to a huge central standpipe into the shallow pools at the top of the peak, then over and down to the river below. The mining town of Rainbow Ridge also expanded. The hills and valleys of Bear Country and Beaver Valley were just beyond where the wagon loading area had been. So a new tree-covered berm was built to visually block them from the main street of Frontierland. The ridge connected the original Rainbow Mountain with the new Cascade Peak. On this slope, several new structures were added to the town of Rainbow Ridge, including a new opera hall, dance hall, snowshoe millers' hides, and the Rainbow Ridge Outfitters. The town now seemed alive as guests in the queue heard recorded sounds and music from the various shops. Screams of pain could be heard from Doc Sutter's dental office, a noisy fight from the Last Chance Saloon, harmonies of a barbershop quartet, and the shooing of a horse from the blacksmith. Farther up the hill, a miner could be heard snoring, and church bells were ringing in the distance. So this reminds me a lot of Main Street, the mm-hmm. sounds from the building. So did they do that also in Main Street while they were doing it here um, in Rainbow Ridge? A lot of the Main Street sounds were already there. Okay. So from the from the different windows, especially on Center yeah. Street. Yeah, and all that; those were there. Um, I always wonder, though, that the snoring of this miner. Remember when you would enter um, Bear Country, and then later, yes. and later, yes. yeah, later Critter oh. Country, you heard the bear snoring. I remember that. <laughs> I, I that was so funny. Yeah, and, I wonder. I wonder, I wonder if they just got that idea from mm-hmm. that. But it really does make it appear that the the town is alive. Yeah. And this town, this town area was a favorite place that after hours, when Walt and Lillian would just stroll the park, they loved walking along this ridge and uh, uh, around the buildings. Now, there's a, there's a really well-known photo of them um, doing that amongst these buildings. How romantic. Yeah. The the window of the marshal's office read Willard P. Bounds, U.S. Marshal. Now, according to the backstory, Willard P. Hall Bounds was a blacksmith and marshal in the town of Rainbow Ridge during the 19th century. He had a daughter named Lillian Marie Bounds. That name might sound familiar to a lot of us, as that was um, Walt's wife's maiden name. Oh, yes. His story would later (laughs) continue when he eventually retired from martial work and became a president of the Big Thunder Mining Company, which dug up and stole gold from Big Thunder Mountain, upsetting its native spirits and causing disasters. The smaller structures up the hill provided scenic beauty for guests on the pack mules as they rode up the trail. I love that they have all these backstories, but we don't know them. Yes. You know, we um, have to really dig for them sometimes. The only change to the locomotive and ore cars was a cheerful yellow paint color scheme. Each ore cart now bore a name like Olympic Elk, Cascade Peak, Rainbow Cavern, Saguaro Forest, and Bear Country. There were still four trains, but they now had seven cars and could carry up to 74 passengers on each trip. 
The mine train's route was expanded to cover 2,307 feet, and a trip through nature's wonderland was now just under nine minutes. Ride operators were cast to act as California miners and be, quote, friendly, easygoing, and efficient, unquote. They could deliver the spiel themselves or play a recorded narration by Dallas McKinnon as an old prospector. Now, McKinnon would go on to voice Zeke in the Country Bear Jamboree and Benjamin Franklin in Epcot Center's American Adventure, amongst many other things. He was in films, voiced characters in films and cartoons. He was the voice of Gumby. (laughs) <laughs> I <laughs> that's that is pretty funny but I think these voice actors they're very flexible they can do lots of things kind they're of amazing yes yeah. um, and, and and that's why I am going to share the narration I am not even going to attempt to sound like like Dallas McKinnon as the yeah. prospector but I I want to share the narration um as we describe um a, a trip on the mind trains in nature's wonderland So the introduction to the trip through nature's wonderland is, and this is the old prospector here. Howdy, folks. Welcome to the little mining town of Rainbow Ridge, the gateway to nature's wonderland. As we head for the wilderness, a couple of suggestions. Please stay seated at all times and keep your hands and arms inside the train. The animals get mighty hungry and uh, no smoking, please, because we don't want to start a forest fire. Now, beyond these hills lies nature's wonderland. You're apt to see a whole lot of wildlife. So keep a real sharp hunter's eye. So our train pulls away from the loading area and heads towards the tunnel. When we exit the tunnel, our train follows a track along the banks of the scenic forest lake and bubbling creeks of Beaver Valley. Our narrator says, our first outpost is Beaver Valley, where many animals of nature's wonderland come to enjoy the plush resort atmosphere built up by nature's own engineer, the industrious beaver. Our train crosses an elevated wooden trestle. Beavers bob up and down in the water below, constructing a dam of branches and twigs, whilst others gnaw on trees along the shore. On a rocky outcropping above, marmots peek out from the burrows, bobbing up and down, chirping and chittering at our passing train. Them little marmots over the tunnel must be a-whistling to all you pretty gals. I can't say I blame them, our old prospector laughs. We pass the noisy raven tree and hear the bullfrog chorus. Near the water, we can see squirrels, raccoons, and other tiny residents of Beaver Valley. So you can see there was a lot going on in this one scene. Yeah. I'm curious, Would can you recall, did they have fake fur? Yes. And looked real? They did. And that okay. was a problem because birds would come and pick the fur oh. off of <laughs> the critters and to build nests. And so they were always having to refurbish all of these um, oh. creatures. Yeah. But having never seen a beaver, I'm, I would have, as a little child, just been in awe. Oh, yeah. We have a a creek that, well, yeah, a creek that runs near our home about a block away or so. And Mm -hmm. it, um, there's a family of beavers, beaver couple that lives, lives there. And they sometimes (laughs) dam up the creek a bit, threatening (laughs) houses. And so then, um, I think the, uh, 
our our town's um <laughs> I don't know what the department is that cares for animals. Um uh, they they all come in and open it up a little so the water well. can flow. So. <laughs> the track ahead curves to the left and heads into the tunnel beneath the marmots. On the other side, we find ourselves alongside the rivers of America on a track curving along the legendary Cascade Peak. Though it's only 75 feet tall, forced perspective makes it appear even taller. Cascade Peak is a visual icon for the entire rivers of America. Waterfalls pour from the peak, pooling and cascading down plateaus into the waters that encircle Tom Sawyer Island. So do you remember seeing Cascade you know, I um probably if I saw a photo, I I can't clearly remember, but I know it was there's been so many changes. I'm sure if I saw a photo then I would recognize it, but right you, now at the top of my head I can't remember. Yeah, you probably would. It was it was pretty spectacular. And the mm-hmm. funny thing is you went behind it. So you saw the backside of water on oh. this attraction <laughs> as well. So So the old prospector tells us if you've never gone beneath a waterfall before, then get set because we're coming up on big thunder, the biggest falls in these here parts. You don't have to worry, though, unless the wind changes. Them other two falls, they call the twin sisters. I reckon that's because they're always babbling. As we pass the backside of water from Big Thunder, we can see Tom Sawyer Island, the Indian War Canoes, the Mike Fink Keelboats, and the Mark Twain Riverboat. So, and people from from Frontierland, they would wave and and um, say hello as the train passed by. Oh, so. That's so fun. Yeah. Halfway around Cascade Peak, we enter a third tunnel to head inland and back into nature's wonderland. Now we're in bear country, and this is the best remembered and probably most photographed scene in the attraction. Our train slows as it begins to cross the rickety trestle about 15 feet above the water. Our old prospector warns us, now, folks, I don't want to scare you on this old rickety trestle, but everybody sit real still. It almost washed out last week. Below us, we can view dozens of animated bears frolic and fish in the water. On shore, a family of bears scratches against trees. Other bears play and roll on their backs, back and forth on their backs. The narration continues. We're coming into bear country now, folks. And while we're crossing the old trestle, you gotta sit real still. No telling how long she's gonna last. You know, bears are one of the most playful animals there is. Lazy, too. All they want to do is lay around and scratch and fish and swim. That is, when they ain't sleeping. So, this was an amazing scene. You were above them, looking down at... There were so many animals, so many bears in here. It was a lot of fun. Oh, gosh. I can only imagine... um, Especially if they look like real bears. <laughs> I might have been scared. I might have been scared. <laughs> I thought they looked like real bears. So. <laughs> As our train moves off the trestle, we can see more animals, including a vulture, some great horned owls, and a pair of elks locked in battle. We hear the old prospector say, Sometimes she can be a mighty rugged place to live out here in the wilderness. The struggle for survival leaves only the strong and sometimes the lucky. Say, look on that bank, cross Bear Creek there. 
So with several female elk watch, we see two stags locking antlers in constant motion. The old prospector observes, now there's a real struggle for survival. Two stags are battling for them cow elk. Maybe you folks can tell me, though, does getting two women folk mean you're the winner or the loser? Never could figure that one out. <laughs> I, I think if this uh, this attraction survived today, the narration would be very that, different. That would have to change. <laughs> that would have to change. But I have seen on uh, like on YouTube the elk, and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It looks real. It's real. Doesn't it look real? I absolutely it believed it was real when yeah. I was little. I believed yeah. all of this was real when I was little. So. Up ahead, we can see the red rock of the natural arch and the entrance to the living desert. It is now in the water, but is still used by guests riding the pack mules. Our old prospector points it out. Ahead now is the natural arch bridge, carved out of solid rock after hundreds of thousands of years of wind, rain, snow, and sleet, and a little help from Walt Disney. You can see the great living desert down below. You know, the desert's a dry place and full of some pretty mean varmints. Gotta be careful of sidewinders, wild pigs, and even mountain lions. But the desert's got her beauty, too. Our train continues its journey into a broad, sandy lowland lined with rocky formations and pine-covered hills. Here we can see elf owls perched atop rocks, pronghorn antelope and cougar amongst the rocks, antelopes drinking from a desert pool, and ring-tailed cats sunning themselves on the warm rocks. A bobcat perches atop a cactus surrounded by a family of pigs that have left them in a sticky situation. We may see another mine train full of passengers across from us on the curving track. As we exit this scene, we come upon a forest of tall cacti on either side of the tracks, and our old prospector tells us, Now ahead of us, folks, is a giant saguaro cactus forest, home of the skyscraper of the desert. The desert heat sometime gets to you and makes these here cactus take on strange shapes like animals and sometimes even people. Somebody even saw the seven dwarfs out here yesterday. Saguaros are the desert's biggest living thing and they provide homes for all kinds of birds. I love the humor. I love mm-hmm. the humor that's in place and and it's almost like a mirage. You know, you're thinking, wow, I, I must have, I am out here a little bit too long. <laughs> turning into people that was the effect that was absolutely the effect that they wanted to have amongst all the cacti we see some with bulbous bodies branches extending like arms and pinched upper trunks which seem to form necks and heads yellow blossoms grow like hats and recessed openings in the spiny skin form eye sockets and open mouths living in the cacti are spotted skunks and peccary Our train now rolls past a mineshaft opening, which is actually a spur track leading to the maintenance and storage area. We then approach a colorful thermal scene on our left, as our old prospector says, Say, ever hear of the devil's paint pots? Real mystery of the desert, bubbling pots of mud in all kinds of colors. This is geyser country, too. Uh Uh-oh, there she blows. Sure glad y'all brought your raincoats. Look out now, we never know when she's going to go off. That's why we call her Old Unfaithful. Look out now. 
Hey, you folks in them cars, be ready. She's a threatening again. And they did. They had geysers. They had geysers and these paint. It was amazing. (laughs) I think it's always fun when you kind of accidentally get wet. You know, (laughs) it's just uh, like not totally wet, but it's. I can see the kids screaming and just then clapping afterwards. Yeah. 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 As our train chugs along, we can see the paint pots bubbling with red, blue, yellow, and green colored mud. And a rainbow of colors swirl across the sand. Nearby, four geysers shoot jets of water into the air. We are now at the farthest point from the town of Rainbow Ridge. Our train starts to curve back through an area filled with desert creatures, including a mountain lion cooling in the shade of her den with her cubs. A coyote howls from atop the rocks, and some jackrabbits are poised to run away as our train passes. Then there's a desert watering hole where kit foxes and cottontails are gathered. Rabbits, tortoises, badgers, rattlesnakes, roadrunners, gila monsters, and armadillos can be seen amongst the desert landscape. Beyond the snakes and below the pack mule trail, we see the final resting place of an ancient predator. The sun-bleached bones of a Tyrannosaurus rex embedded in the red desert rock, as the old prospector states, You know... I hear tell a long time ago dinosaurs roamed this area. Of course, all you find now is cactus, snakes, and coyotes, and sometimes the sun-bleached bones of an ancient animal. We then pass by a group of howling coyotes perched on rocks before moving toward rocks piled high atop each other and about to fall onto the train, and we're told, We're now coming into Balancing Rock Canyon. Keep a sharp eye out, because sometimes an unwary animal gets on top of these one of these unsteady rocks. Look out there for that bobcat. He's, he's fallen towards the train. Watch out. That was a close one. No, that's fun. That's the yeah. part that I think I would scream. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. We're now at the lowest level of the route, leading to the opening of a cave. Above us, a hungry-looking mountain lion is peering down and seems ready to pounce onto our heads as we're told, Now we're going deep into the earth to view the dazzling rainbow caverns. You'll see it, giant stalagmites, stalactites, and colorful falls on every side. <laughs> Say, if you look real careful, you'll see Geyser Grotto and even the Witch's Cauldron. Rainbow Caverns is pretty much unchanged. Some new lighting, new creations of color, and many additional stalactites and stalagmites were added to the multicolored falls, cascading into bubbling pools of liquid. Rainbow Caverns is a dazzling finale to our trip before exiting back into the light and the town of Rainbow Ridge and the unloading area. We hear a final word from our old prospector. Well, I see we're coming back to Rainbow Ridge again. I hope you all enjoyed your trip into nature's wonderland. Please stay in your seats until I get the train stopped, will you? And if you got a mountain lion sitting next to you, don't feed him. Just tell him to hop out and hightail it back to his own stomping ground. Well, thanks for riding along and come back when you're out here in these frontier parts, will you? So long. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's fantastic. That really is. Um, it, it's, uh, it's, it's showing Imagineering at its finest. And it is a shame that it couldn't compete with probably bigger rides. But 
Mm-hmm. I-, I wanted to ask you, Michael, have you ever ridden the Calico Mine Train at yes. Knott's Berry Farm? I loved that. I still I still love it. Last time I was on it, it was for their um, Not Scary Farm. And they okay. had they had it all dressed up. And it was amazing the effort they put into that. There was a witch in there and yeah. all kinds of stuff. So I, I liken it that that's probably the closest thing to what this attraction mm-hmm. was. If you want to kind of get a feel of what the uh, mine train at Disney was, maybe the Calico mine train at Knott's is probably the closest thing because they also have their anim- audio animatronics, but it's more about a story of the gold rush. But I think that shows it's still a really great ride. It's too bad it that is. they couldn't keep it around, you know, like mm-hmm. keep on this mind yeah. train through Wonderland around. Yeah. And Walt Disney and Walter Knotts were, were very good friends. And so um, I know, I know the Calico mind train, I'm sure was an inspiration for this attraction. Walt also loved the log flume ride. When, oh, yes, at um, yeah. Knott's Berry Farm. Yes. As time went on, Mind Trains Through Nature's Wonderland had to compete with new e-ticket attractions like Pirates of the Caribbean and the Haunted Mansion. Since guests had a limited number of e-coupons, this was before the unlimited, you know, mm-hmm. pass when you get in, ridership for the Mind Trains began to decline. Guests were ignoring the smaller, slower rides for the more exciting attractions in other realms of the park, making the closure of the mine train and pack mules inevitable. With less ridership came less maintenance. Animals started to break down or were not repaired. The real birds and animals living in the park would take fur from the nature wonderland creatures (laughs) to build nests and dens, and they were not refurbished. That's what you were mentioning. Yeah. In the early 1970s, Disneyland announced plans to bring a roller coaster to Frontierland. The pack mules took guests on their last trek through nature's wonderland in October 1973, leaving the wilderness a bit more desolate. The last mine train carrying passengers through the wilderness on New Year's Day 1977. Some remains of the mine train through nature's wonderland lasted for decades, and others can still be seen today. So Big Thunder Trail, the path constructed between Frontierland and Fantasyland, passes through the old Beaver Valley. And you can still see the distant mine tunnel with part of the trestle intact. And from time to time, you can see a few leaping fish figures visible in the water below when they're working. I have seen that. I have seen Mm -hmm. that. Yeah. And there's always turtles in there. Real turtles, for some reason. (laughs) I don't know how they got there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Seen that too. The mine tunnels on either side of Cascade Peak could be seen on both sides of the trail as you walked it. Big Thunder Ranch retained many of the red rock pinnacles that led to Balancing Rock Canyon and natural arches of the living desert until Big Thunder Ranch was demolished in 2016 to make way for Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Cascade Peak along the rivers of America remained for two decades. It was demolished in 1998, uh, reportedly because years without repair had weakened its structural integrity to the point of near collapse. The tracks visible from the rivers of America that once circled Cascade Peak remained even longer. 
An abandoned nature's wonderland mine train could be seen on the tracks to provide some theming to the area. It was removed in 2010 and is now at Carol, a Walt's Carrollwood Barn in Griffith Park. The tracks remained until the Rivers of America's reshaping in 2017 to make way for Galaxy's Edge. Have you been to um, Walt's Carrollwood Barn in Griffith Park? Oh, yes. And see that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Same here. Same here. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so happy they preserved it. Yes. Everyone should try to make a trek out there if they can. Absolutely. Yeah. The mining town of Rainbow Ridge was partially salvaged and restored and is now on the hillsides over the queue for Big Thunder Mountain and along its final break run near Rancho del Zocalo. The T-Rex skeleton was enhanced with more bones and reinstalled on the Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. After several years in storage, a panther that once lurked in nature's wonderland was given a new home in Adventureland alongside the tracks of the Disneyland Railroad. And that's still there I had today. No, yeah, I had no idea that was the panther from nature's wonderland. Yeah, yeah. Tony Baxter rehomed many of the Sagrero, the bobcat perched atop the cactus, the peccaries, and mountain sheep to Walt Disney World's Big Thunder Mountain attraction at the Magic Kingdom. The colorful caverns at the beginning of Big Thunder Mountain Railroad are a homage to the rainbow caverns, but they're not quite as grand. The voice of the old prospector narrator, Dallas McKinnon, recorded the safety spiel we hear in the beginning of the Big Thunder Mountain Railroad. Hold on to your hats and glasses. Remember, this here is the wildest. Yeah. (laughs) I love all these nods to the ride. Uh There's so many uh, nods to that history. Yeah. Now, your boys may have seen this, um, Luella. The Mickey Mouse animated series on the Disney Channel and Disney Plus dedicated an episode to the attraction um, and to Big Thunder titled Nature's Wonderland. It tells the story about Mickey and Minnie seeking out the rainbow caverns for a romantic vacation, only to end up on a runaway mine train through Big Thunder Mountain and various sections of the living desert before finding the caverns complete with their original music after a large dynamite explosion opens a path to them. Oh my gosh. You know, I think I remember that. I think I've seen that too. <laughs> yeah. I've seen that. I'm not a big fan of the anime. Yeah. It's funny. I, th- I don't ha- like the characters cause they're not on point, but I love the stories. I think they're mm-hmm. more like the original Mickey mouse shorts back in the day. You know, in Walt's oh, time, yeah, Mickey was yeah. more mischievous and adventurous before he sort of started living in the suburbs. Yes, you know, and I think we have talked about this. This is actually my older son and his girlfriend's favorite version of Mickey. So it's it's kind of like every generation has their Mickey. Yeah. And um, yeah. this is their Mickey. But I have to, now I, I'm curious, I should ride Mickey's Runaway railway and see if there's any little nod in the queue mm-hmm. for <laughs> nature yeah, yeah. Should- or even uh, yeah and i'm trying to think i don't see anything you know as we go along the i don't want to ruin it for anybody who hasn't seen it but as we go along our ad- crazy adventure to get to the mm-hmm. picnic i keep thinking okay so going to be a homage in here because there is a there's a train is yeah. there any sort of homage to the mine train in there or to the short yeah, I should. So I should watch it. Keep an eye I should, out. 
pay attention now and look for that. There's so much mm-hmm. to see when you ride the ride that you get lost. <laughs> yeah. A working model of the Mind Train Through Nature's Wonderland constructed by Sam Taller is on permanent display at Walt's Carrollwood Barn in Griffith Park. He started building that when he was 15 years old, you know, like a sophomore wow. in high school. I thought, what a talent. Wow. So, another reason to go. Another reason to yeah, go there. Absolutely. And you can touch things that Walt touched there. This is like, as Marcy Creek as mother says, this is the Holy Grail of, 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 you know, seeking Walt Disney, of connecting with Walt is that barn. Oh gosh. So, yeah. I mean, and it's only open every third Sunday. So right. if you happen to be in town, I think that's a definite place to stop by. I agree with you. Absolutely. And then you can ride the carousel. It's not yeah. terribly far away if it's open. <laughs> Mm-hmm. The mind trains through nature's wonderland reflected Walt's love of trains and his ability to combine entertainment and education. It was one of the largest attractions ever built for a Disney park and reflected the brilliance of Mark Davis. This attraction remains a fond memory for millions of Disneyland guests, myself included. All right. Wonderful. Very so- very beautiful. And I think at least we have um, videos, which is, I think mm-hmm. back then, it's amazing we have these videos because it wasn't easy to take photos and videos back then. Now, well, pictures yeah, were real had, film. They had yeah. their Super 8 cameras, you know, they sometimes yeah. some, you had to crank, you yeah. know, and all your home movie cameras and all that. Some of them, it's hard to capture the grandeur of rainbow caverns because cameras at the time they just didn't have the ability to with with in low lights to yeah. really capture image as well back in the yeah. day but there's a couple videos out there and i'm going to mention them in a bit that um do a pretty good job uh, of taking you through this attraction so well i hope you feel that you've virtually ridden it um, today i have i have yes <laughs> yeah it's um, I understand like innovation and, and, uh, keeping up with the times, but I still think it would have been very successful had it still been around. Now yeah. it was true. You were limited on e-tickets. So if I had to choose, I, I might've, we weren't the f- type of family that bought extra tickets. So we had to be mm-hmm. very selective on what we wrote. Yeah. So I can understand if that's how they were measuring the popularity, but now that you can just write anything, I, I think it would be long lines and probably have to purchase a fast pass. I think, I think there would be too. I think if it had managed to survive, it would yes. have done well with, with, you know, um, state of the art upgrades and, and probably a new narration. So, yes, but now it's time for this week in Disney history. So Luella, I always, offer guests the chance to go first, but it's up to you. Would you like me to share mine first or would you like to share yours first? Um, I can go first. Okay. Sounds good. What do you have for us? Okay. So for this week, uh, June 21 in 1988, Touchstone Amblin Entertainment film um, had their premiere of Who Framed Roger Rabbit at the Radio City Music Hall in New York. And I love this movie. And I find it interesting that they premiered in New York at the Radio City Music Hall. But what I love about this new movie is 
the uh, live action with the animation, plus also the incorporation of competing <laughs> animation mm-hmm. companies. Um, I think I got super excited to see uh, Bugs Bunny and Mickey Mouse in one scene. Um, but I think the story is fantastic and I think it's a great classic movie. And that was my selection of this week. In, um, That's a good history. one. I love that film. And remember the, and the special effects were, they were not done by computer back in the day. So if you ever yeah. see the videos of the behind the scenes, it's amazing what they accomplished. My favorite yeah. was seeing Doopy Dog running the elevator because oh. he was one of my favorite characters when oh, I was a yeah. boy. So he, he yeah. was hilarious and, you know, and it inspired Toontown at Disneyland yes. and the yes. wonderful Roger Rabbit, you know, attraction. Yes. Yes. As and, well. and Roger Rabbit's a fun character, it's a fun character, but yeah. honestly that my mind was blown when I saw Bugs Benny and Mickey, I was like, Oh, they're together. Mm-hmm. And then also like Donald and Daffy. Weren't they funny <laughs> they were the, so with funny. the dueling pianos? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so. so, And even Betty Boop in black and white, which is what yes. I loved because yeah. that's her cartoons are black and white. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, that's a great one. That's a great choice. I wish Roger Rabbit would be back in the park. I know they'd have to work out a deal with Steven Spielberg and all that, but, um, he was oh, just a great a character. Oh. Yeah, because it was jointly done with Steven Spielberg's oh. film company. Okay. So, yeah. He ha- and, th- you know, th- especially under Michael Eisner, they just had so many contractual issues that mm, they, okay. they decided just to pull him from the park. They didn't want to pay fees, you know, licensing oh. fees, you know, all kinds of stuff. There was disagreements over merchandising, who gets what cut of the profits from it. So that's why you don't oh. even see Roger Rabbit merchandise anymore. So oh, that is too bad. Yeah, I had yeah, no was, idea. Yeah. There is a lot going on. Mm-hmm. Well, mine is June 24th, 1893. This is when Roy Oliver Disney was born in Chicago, Illinois. So he's the middle of five children. He, along with his younger brother, Walt, started what we know today as the Walt Disney Company. I thought since we were talking about Disneyland today, we should, I wanted to mention the person that really made it all possible financially, because Roy guided the business side of the Disney Company, and he left his brother, Walt, free to produce and create. And Walt left it to Roy to find the money to finance his um, dreams. Roy served as president of the Walt Disney Disney Productions from 1945 to 1968. He was chairman of the board as well from 1964 until his death in 1971. He was a very modest man, and it was Roy's idea to change the name of the Florida park from Disney World to Walt Disney World after Walt passed in 1966. He was married to Edna Francis in 1925. Roy was the father, of course, of Roy E. Disney, who sort of saved the animation department um, Mm -hmm. when when Michael Eisner came in. Um, Today, there is a statue of Roy O. Disney seated on a park bench beside Minnie Mouse, in the town square section of Main Street, USA, the Magic Kingdom in Florida, and outside the Team Disney building at Disney's corporate headquarters of Burbank, California. And I think it's a shame we don't have a bench to him somewhere on Main Street at Disneyland. Because, again, yeah, he, was, 
He found the money. He found the financing. He bought the very first ticket to Disneyland. Yeah. So I, I, I just think I've seen that ticket. I think he should um, he should be honored at the park. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So anyway, so June twenty fourth, an important day. So Luella, I've been talking about the Diz event from August fourth through sixth mm-hmm. at the Diz Dreams event over the last few weeks. And if you go onto the Diz boards, folks can find out the details. We are, of course, renting out the um, Paradise Pier or Pixar Pier in Paradise Gardens area for a big after hours bash with food and and all of that. So, um, and then the next day will be a podcast, um, a live yeah. podcast as well. So yeah. for people who buy tickets to the event, they get to go to the podcast as well. And there'll, and there'll be a few surprises, I'm sure, along the way, because John always has a few surprises at these events. Yeah, so Luella, are you planning fun. to go to it? Well, I will for sure be there at the party. Mm-hmm. I did get a ticket. So I'm looking forward to being there. And if you still feel comfortable to ride the um, Mickey's Wheel of Death. Yes. I, I know it's not <laughs> called that anymore. It's Pixar Pal, Pal Nancy, or something. But, Nancy yeah. calls it that. <laughs> uh, I'll ride it with you. Oh, uh, thank you. I am looking yeah. for people to do that since the people I originally was going with are coming to the I event. I have never been on it. So on, on the moving carriages. The moving I've not one, been. yeah. I've gotten yeah. a lot more comfortable with it. I'm still... You know, it's still kind of scary, I think. Um, cause there's seatbelts on that thing. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but, um, but, you know, everyone's safe when you're on it. Um, and it, it is a fun ride. It's a fun ride. Oh, good. And it good. doesn't go as high as the one that doesn't rock. Like the one that doesn't rock goes pretty high. Because mm-hmm. um, the one that rocks is like on the inner portion. Right, right. Yeah, I've watched it. Waiting to hear screams and all that from yeah. it. So, so ha- have you, speaking of Disneyland, have you been there um, recently? If you want to share any observations, experiences, anything like that? Yeah, so I actually went the day before Splash Mountain closed in order mm-hmm. to ride Splash Mountain. So I didn't go the day that it actually closed because I was working. <laughs> but I went the day before it closed and... uh I got there early, so I didn't get the three to four hour lines. But oh, it was cold. For you. It was cold. <laughs> it was cold. <laughs> so um, I I rode it twice, and I think after the second time, because I got soaked. I got soaked. I was like, I'm good. I'm good, because <laughs> I was <laughs> cold, and I didn't think I forgot to bring my poncho. But I I wanted to to experience it and ride it. I I love the ride. Um, I'm looking forward to the the new interpretation i think it'll be done very well but uh you know a little sad to see you know say goodbye to brer rabbit and brer fox and yeah and that version of it so it'll be interesting to see if they have any homages to them in the attraction maybe there'll be some of the critters playing instruments or something (laughs) <laughs> maybe, maybe I can imagine they have to recycle some of that. But that was also after why also I wanted to dry up a bit. I went to visit the live action Ariel, um, who was doing meet and greets at the park that day as well. Mm-hmm. So after I rode Splash Mountain twice, allowed myself to get dry a bit and then <laughs> lined up to um meet the live action Ariel and um, she was adorable. The backdrop was adorable 
And uh, that was a lot of fun. Oh, good. I thought you were going to dry off by riding the Incredicoaster a few times. Oh, no. <laughs> I can't ride that ride. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you, you know, even like Splash Mountain, that dip, that's that's quite a dip. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I'm looking forward to the T- Tiana's Bayou Adventure. I wish I could have worked the word mountain into that. Into that. Yeah. But everybody's going to say I'm going to ride Princess and the Frog. So, yes, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Princess in the Frog Mountain. <laughs> yeah. um, oh, so so any any other things going on at Disneyland or downtown um, well, Disney? Th- that was the the my the mm-hmm. my latest that I did, but mm-hmm. I actually over the weekend um, through Haunted Orange County took a little tour of a haunted mansion theme Airbnb. Um, which is located not too far from Disneyland. And so it is really well done. And Bob Gurr was there. Uh, so I heard I, about this event. Yeah. yeah. I got to um, see Bob Gurr. I, I've seen him in the past as well. He's just as delightful as he always is. But I wanted to check out this Airbnb. And it's actually available if anyone wants to um I guess rent it and stay there um, mm-hmm. can fit eight people. But I think just the love of haunted mansion and the detail that this owner did. It's amazing. There's a stretching room, which is the dining room and all the bedrooms are themed. Like one of them's Madame Leota. The other one is like the Hatbox ghost. And oh. uh, if you are a true fan of haunted mansion, this is probably a great place to stay for a night. <laughs> and it's not that far from Disneyland. I think it's like 15 minutes. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so um you know, I I think if it's probably comparable in price to a night at the Grand. <laughs> but okay, you can I was wondering it, about the price. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you um I, the owner was there and um he was saying of course when it gets close to Halloween it, the price goes up, but I think um on off seasons it's not too bad and if you divide it by eight people cuz it's a four bedroom house, it's just like mm-hmm. a regular Airbnb. Um but it's it's interesting to see, like you know, Haunted Mansion is has a lot of fans, so it's uh-huh. you know, people who have a real love of Haunted Mansion, they can really go all out. And, uh, um, and like I said, like the decoration was like on point. You'd think you're on the ride. <laughs> that's great. And did what did um did Bob Garrett tell stories or what did he do? He was mostly there. Like you had. Um, they divided the groups into two groups. And so half of the group got to go inside the house and the other half of the group got to do a meet and greet with Bob Gurr. And he was open to any um, questions and he was also selling merchandise. Uh, So it was really kind of a free for all, a a time to really ask him any questions. And then of course, take pictures. But like I said, I've seen him, I've, I've seen him in the past with other events. So I've asked a lot of questions. <laughs> so I didn't have any new questions, um, but he was open to uh, any questions. Like there was a lot of people that were asking him about the, the Haunted Mansion and all his previous rides. And so always, you know, so kind with mm-hmm. his time. He is. He's very generous with his time too. Yes. So. Yeah. So did that. How about you, Michael? I haven't been lately. I've been to the Walt mm-hmm. Disney Family Museum. And okay. I'm going back there again, I think next week, because they are, they have a members only preview and reception for their new exhibit, Walt Disney's Dogs and Cats. 
Oh, I've seen, yeah. Yeah, it's an exhibit from Japan. So it should be really good. And there's, and they're going to have merchandise from Tokyo there and Tokyo Disneyland. Those Asian parks just have amazing Mm -hmm. merchandise. And I don't know why we don't have some of it here. I know they have the most amazing merchandise, but I think everything in Japan is adorable. Even like at McDonald's. I mean, I went to Japan when I was in high school Mm -hmm. and everything was just so cute. It's so cute. Like I, they have a lot of uh, like just the merchandise, not just for Disney. It's just really well done. Yeah. Well, and that's why they love Duffy so much there. Duffy and all his little friends. Gosh, they love Duffy. It, they they'll dress up as Duffy, and they bring Duffy to the parks with them, and all that. It's yes. quite impressive. Quite impressive. Yes. Yes. So, I wanted to give an update on our friend of the show, Disney historian and author Jim Corcus. I'd mentioned a while back that he was in the hospital for a quadruple bypass surgery. Well, he is still in the hospital, and um, there there's. The, the good news is he's in good spirits and he sends his love and all that. Fortunately, in some of the tests they did and they did a colonoscopy, they found out he had cancer that had spread mm-hmm. to his liver. So oh. he is undergoing chemotherapy right now for that. Um, he, unfortunately, he only has a, an old desktop that he does all his writing on. So he um, can't, write any books or anything from the hospital and and he's stuck with like three channels or whatever it is on the hospital television so he's bored out of his mind um oh gosh so you know there i did on my connecting with walt um facebook page there is a link to more information about him Uh, a gofundme was started to help him with his hospital bills because as you can imagine they are huge and um and but also even you know if you can't donate at least it's there you can go there and and see updates on him um you know if you can support him you know buy one of his books or something support him in that way because they're all wonderful wonderful reads and so anyway so he's in our thoughts and prayers because it is amazing what modern medicine can do um these days especially with cancer so, yes, um, so we're hoping, hoping for the best for him, and hopefully, when he's fully recovered, he'll be he'll he'll be on the show again someday with even yes. more wonderful stories. Definitely, we'll like think happy thoughts and um, Sarah prayers for yeah. him. Send, send pixie dust, as, as the Disney Definitely. folks like to say. Yeah. So, besides my personal memories, I used several books and articles in researching this episode, including some magazines and books, the E-Ticket Magazine number 29 featuring the Disneyland Mind Train, Disneyland Story, the Unofficial Guide to the Evolution of Walt Disney's Dream by Sam Genoway, Claude Coates, Walt Disney's Imagineer by Dave Bossert, some articles and websites I used, a Mind Train Through Nature's Wonderland on the Disney Wiki. Mind Train to Nature's Wonderland, the story of Walt Disney's forgotten e-ticket by Theme Park Tourist. Walt Disney's Barn honors Disneyland's Mind Train to Nature's Wonderland attraction by the Daily Bulletin. Traveling on the Mysterious Rainbow Caverns Mind Train at Disneyland by Sam Genoway for Mice Chat. 
Disney Extinct Attractions, Mind Trained Through Nature's Wonderland by Cole Jarek for Laughing Place. Inspiration by Thunder Mesa Studio. The Wonder of Nature's Wonderland at ImagineeringDisney.com. Mickey and the Mickey Mouse short Nature's Wonderland on a waltz through Disney. There are also some videos. If you would like to um, virtually experience the mind train attraction, there's some fun videos. Uh, and Craig will have links to these in the show notes. Um, on history land, there is mind train through nature's wonderland. Um, mind train through nature's wonderland by happy place explorers. Nature's wonderland mind train the full ride. And Rainbow Caverns Mind Train 1956 and Mind Train Through Nature's Wonderland in 1960. And it does feature Walt Disney at the very end in one of the ore carts there. Luella, yeah, I'd thank recommend you. everyone, everyone watch mm-hmm. that because it's, 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 uh, is a beautiful attraction. It deserves it to is. be seen. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so yes. happy, Luella, you could join us and share in telling the story of uh, Mind Train Through Nature's Wonderland. Thank and we you hope, for having me. Absolutely. Yes. I hope you'll you'll decide to come back. <laughs> definitely. So. Definitely. I enjoyed it. And I'm always, uh, you know, it's, sometimes you, you don't realize uh, how much history Disneyland has. You think you know it all, and then there's something, you learn something new every day. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what's wonderful. I had a... A friend when I was at the Walt Disney Family Museum last week, he says, you still doing your show? I said, yes. <laughs> and he said, what, what could you possibly have to talk about after all these years? Yeah. And I said, there is always a story. There is always there's something. Always, yeah, there's yeah. always something. Yeah. yeah. So, Luella, until next time, how can our listeners connect with you? Well, at, at Twitter, I have a Twitter. It's Luella32. And I'm also on Instagram and TikTok at Luella Michelle. I'm um, having a lot of fun right now. Uh, my birthday is on Thursday. So I do this thing where I try to get all the birthday freebies and you can see my little journey. At, and it lasts for a month. It is, it I'm, it is amazed. <laughs> I, just, I have a lot of fun doing that. And people always ask, I'm looking forward to all your freebies. Um, and uh, at, and I'm, you can just Google, uh, you can on Facebook, it's uh, Luella Loriola. Um but I, I will be there at the Diz event. I'm looking forward to um, seeing you, Michael, and anyone else who comes. Um, so that will be a lot of fun. And I'm hoping to go to uh, Disneyland again in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I have to plan a trip there soon, see what's going on before the Diz event. So. Oh, um, yes, yeah, definitely. Yeah. You can send me messages at michaelbowling at disneyinfo.com. Twitter, I'm at mbowling121. Facebook, Michael Bowling dash connecting with Walt. Instagram, I'm Michael Bowling the Diz. And you can connect with me, Craig and Luella on Twitter at connecting Walt. If you'd like to listen to more shows on the history of Walt Disney, his studio, his Imagineers, and Disneyland, check out our Disneyland podcast archives for my Disney history episodes and the link Craig includes in our show notes. And people have been asking, okay, where are those? If you go on like, um, on uh, iTunes or something and you bring up the show, the, there are show notes right below where you'll click play or whatever. And all the links are all in there and on some of these other platforms as well. Um, 
You can also go to disunplug.com, look for past episodes of Connecting with Walt on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Pandora, and Amazon podcasts, where you can subscribe to our show and leave some positive reviews and ratings when possible. So thank you for making us a part of your day. And remember, I only hope that we don't lose sight of one thing, that it was all started by a man, Walt Disney, and his brother, Roy. And I don't know, enjoy a Dole Whip or something on June 24th to celebrate um, Roy's birthday. 